Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, along here with co-host Andy Dolich and our guest in Brandon Schneider, uh, CRO of the Golden State Warriors. And as we were discussing earlier, it seems like eons ago that we started this. And, uh, you know, two years ago about, we had uh, Rick Welts on and excited to have Brandon on another part of the family of the Warriors. And I can't forget Andy's, Andy's tenure at the Warriors as well. Uh, so a lot of Bay Area on this podcast, and as as we uh, think about the new different, as Andy will touch on at some point here uh, in the near future, uh, Brandon, we want to learn from you, you know, A, how did you get to the seat that you're in, and then B, uh, how are you looking at things going forward? So nonetheless, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake, and thanks, Andy, for having me on. And we, we already are going to give you a handsome parting gift if we had any handsome parting gifts, but maybe Jake uh, can. But anybody that comes on uh, doesn't have the great books of Western civilization behind them is our kind of person. So we give you props. <laughs> Got light shining in and that's positive. Instead that's right. Fake books that everybody has behind them. Brandon, as, as you embark on your, your journey through the industry and, and have accomplished so much already thus far, um, give us a little insight, kind of your, your quick roadmap to how you got to where you are and, and having spent a lot of time in, in the Warriors organization and um, where you go from here. Yeah. So uh, thanks for that. And, and, and I fell into the sports industry. I, I was a business economics major and an accounting minor at UCLA. I graduated in 2001, which some people may remember, some may not. That's a time when the stock market had just crashed. So I thought I was going to be like an investment banker or a venture capitalist. And I had great interviews, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, some of the top firms. And, and people are telling me, you know, we'd love to hire you, Brandon, but we're, we're firing people. So um, I was at a Giants game with a family friend, a guy by the name of Jeff Prolick, who some of you will recognize that name. And he was the, the GM of Fox Sports Net at the time. And he said, I can, I can put in a word for you with the Giants and the Warriors. And I said, that would be fantastic. So I, I reached out in the ways that he told me to. I didn't hear anything from either one. And of course, I was really smart, so I didn't follow up. Uh, and then about two months later, um, a woman by the name of Diane McCausland called me or emailed me. I don't even know if there was email back then. I think she called me and, uh, and said, uh, Robert Rowell would like to meet with you. So that was the president of the Warriors at the time. I put on one of my dad, I was 22 years old. I put on one of my dad's suits and I went to interview with Robert Rowell. And you know, we had a great conversation. He asked me if I could sell. Uh, and, and I said, you know, sure, why not? And um, introduced me to the ticket salespeople. Before I left that day, he had offered me a job um, to start with the Warriors. So, you know, when, when I, when, you know, I get uh, a lot of students and people trying to get into sports that reach out and ask me, you know, advice on how to get into the industry. So that's my story there. And then, and then the second part is how do you sort of grow once, once you get your foot in the door? I, I tell people that I think that part is easier, actually. Uh, I think a lot of people would probably disagree with me, but I think so many people want to get into sports. And so getting that first job, I think can be really challenging. Uh, you don't have the experience yet. So, so you're, you know, you're working hard to, 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 to find your way in. So that's how I got in. And then once I got in, I think, um, you know, a lot of things have to go right, but, you know, I came in and, and had kind of a chip on my shoulder because, you know, the way I got the job, I, I didn't do internships and sports management programs, which by the way, back then were a lot less prevalent, I think. And, and maybe I just had my head in the sand. Um, but it's a, it's a little different than it is now. I think our front office back then was about 70 people. Uh, we now have about 500. So, you know, this, these are bigger businesses now than they were back in 2002 when I started with the Warriors. 
um, so, you know, I, you know, hard work. So we had a sales board that was up and I'd see someone else putting numbers on the board and I'd be like, Oh, you know, darn it. I need to, cause I wanted to be double everybody every week. And so, yeah, I think I've kind of taken that mentality all the way through, uh, my tenure, but I, I think, you know, as you talk about how you grow, once you get in, I think the, the work ethic, the hard work's part of it. I think, um, you know, being a team player, you know, everybody wants to make more money and grow their career, but, but doing that the right way in a selfless way where you're really trying to, to make, uh, to make decisions that are the best for the organization, as opposed to the best for Jay Kirschman, Andy Dulles, Brandon Schneider. Um, and then I, I talk to people about kind of doing the next job uh, before you get it. Um, you know, if you're doing a good job, that's great. I don't know how often your boss is going to come to you and go, you know what, Brandon, we really like you. We're going to promote you. I think, you know, when you're, you know, if you're asked to sell tickets and you're thinking about ways that not only you as a person can sell more tickets, but as you know, your department, and then as you grow into a managerial position, you know, you're thinking about the partnership area and marketing and, and, and just growing the overall organization and trying to add value, not, not in an overzealous way. Um, uh, you know, but, but really trying to make yourself that type of an asset, I think has been important for me. So I, I, I've, I've been fortunate to have, you know, I've had nine job titles over the years. I had to look that up. Uh, I joked that part of that was because I think some of the promotions were in lieu of pay increases. They said, well, we'll, we'll just give him a new title that, that should keep him happy for a while. Um, you know, and then, and then halfway through my tenure, you had, uh, Joe and Peter by, by the Warriors with their ownership group in 2010. So, you know, learning a lot in that sort of first segment um, with Chris Cohan and Robert Rowell as president. And then when Joe and Peter bought the team and then about a year later um, hired Rick Welts as our president. So that's kind of the second half. So uh, a lot of different learnings from those two different, um, you know, segments of my career. As you were speaking, uh, we're giving you a homework assignment already. So, uh, Jake, I'm not sure you know Jeff Krolick. Uh, I go back with Jeff when he was running the regional sports channel in Northern California. And uh, not just because Brandon brought his name up, but one of the finest professionals in the business today. And we have to have Jeff on the show. We haven't. And now that Jeff has risen, maybe he can't get off his you know, corporate jet to do this, but Maybe you could put in a good word for us, Brandon, to get Jeff to remember the little people in his life. But one part about Jeff Prolick, which really stands out in the broadcast business, negotiating these very expensive deals with teams, Jeff Prolick is the one person, and I used to do this for different teams, who would absolutely tell you the truth. You sit in a negotiation and he would say, there's this amount of money. This is what we can do. And then you go, yeah, okay. What is the real amount of money? And with Jeff Prolick, that was the real amount of money. He is the number one no bullshit guy that I might have ever dealt with in sports. And some people thought it was, an, you know, Brandon, you negotiate stuff. They thought it was a negotiating position because he would tell the truth. They go like, wow, this is odd. <laughs> The guy's telling the truth. How are we supposed to deal with this? Is that, is that not correct? Yeah, he's he's uh, agreed. I haven't sat across the negotiating table from him. Maybe fortunately for me. By the way, can I say that word on this podcast, Jake? Is that uh, bullshit, that... shit, and other stuff? No, absolutely not. You can... Okay, good. I just so that's only you. I can't. I just I was just checking ground rules. 
Um, no, but Jeff, Jeff is, I mean, look, I, if it weren't for Jeff, I wouldn't, I would never have worked, started working for the Warriors. I can definitively say that, but yeah, one of the nicest, um, you know, straight up guys and, and recently ret retired from St. Clair. So I think you, I think he will have time uh, to, to potentially do this podcast. Yeah. Well, if you could nicely give me his latest info, um, absolutely. He's in, he's in my hall of fame and, you know, just thinking about this with, with Bobby Rowell, uh, who was working with Chris Cohan, that was probably my shortest stint. You talked about you've had nine different positions. And I was thinking like, wow, I've worked for 10 different franchises. Uh, and, and the Warriors was a dream come true after the A's. It didn't work out. Chris is Chris, and that's all history. Um, but your time at the Warriors, what you've seen happen in, in a compressed period of time, going from, oh, that's nice, they're the Warriors, to one of the most revered organizations on the face of the earth, uh, not just on the court, with incredible players and personalities, uh, moving to a new multi-billion dollar building, and then being in a pandemic, what I call the new different. Um, how do you even begin to process that from your perspective? And then if you could help us widen it out, you know, within the Warriors organization and the NBA and, and what has happened in just the last few years in the journey that you've had. Yeah, so I think you asked a lot there, but so let's start with, with what I've seen at the Warriors. You know, I, I alluded to it a minute ago. I mean, I, I think of it as the inflection point was really 2010. And, and you know, I'm going to steal a line from, from Rick, who I've seen say this so many times, but there's no better way to say it. He always says, there's three things you need to be successful sports organization. Ownership, ownership, and ownership. And, and then he usually says, and we hit the Powerball. And, and you know, it, it's funny, like, I would, I would have never realized that, but, but as you look at what's changed – because Chris Cohen was great to me and, and Robert L was great to me. And look, every year we thought we were going to make the playoffs and every year we didn't, at least 17 out of 18 years, we didn't. People forget. I mean, we were, we were arguably the worst franchise in the NBA, at least on the court. Um, you know, we had the one we believe season, um, uh, you know, that was that, that hiatus back in 07. But, but other than that, um, it's been no playoffs uh, for 18 years before Joe. I never Peter. thought I could be in Memphis, Tennessee and go, yeah, we're in the playoffs. The Warriors, no. That's right. So, so, yeah, so Joe Peter by the team in 2010, and it, and it was it was November 12th, but who's counting? And that was right as the season was starting. And so they, they came in and didn't make any changes. They came in and said, we're going to assess what's going on. And then the following year was the was the lockout year. We were 23 and 43 that year. But, but within a year and a half, they had turned over the entire executive team except for me. So I think we had like eight VPs and, 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 and uh, Bobby, as you say. Robert Rao was the president. Um, and so they had turned everything else over and it was very clear um, that, and I could tell you all kinds of stories, but it was basically like, we want to be the best in the league and really the best in any league in the world at every area of the business. And so, you know, it was kind of like, let's look at this. And if we're not, then we need to make changes to get there. Um, but if you, if you look and, and there's been some luck along the way, I mean, we already had Steph Curry on our roster. Now, back then it was not the Steph Curry that we know today. Um, but, but from draft picks and bringing in Jerry West and bringing in Bob Myers, who was an agent who didn't have any, any experience with the team and, you know, is one executive of the year, obviously. Um, so that was on the basketball side. And then on the business side, you know, bringing in Rick Welts, who's probably, I, I'm biased, but the, the most, he's a Hall of Famer, but most 
uh, respected executive, um, I would argue, in sports, certainly one of them, um, you know, to, to run it and, and then just, you know, hiring the best people. So, it, but if you, if, if you look at the dichotomy from where we were to where we are, and again, you know, the, the, the success on the court has had a lot to do with it. Um, but if you look at what we've been able to do, and, and one of the things, by the way, that I think differentiates us from, from other teams and from where we were is the business and basketball side. We don't even talk about it like that. We're, we're one organization. You know, we meet every Tuesday as an executive team and Bob Myers um, and, and Kirk Lake of our top two basketball executives sit in on that meeting every week. That's just one example. But, you know, look, there's an understanding that clearly when the basketball team does well, that, that helps, you know, the business thrive. But the reciprocal is also true. Um, you know, we've been in the luxury tax almost every year and we're able to, to do things like that, um, you know, because we're able to, to, to bring in revenue, which we need their support. And, and by the way, when, when, when you go back to ownership, um, our, our, our stated goal is to, is to win championships. It's, you know, we're, we're a business just like any other team, but, but our, we, our primary goal is to win championships. And then after that, you know, we talk about having the right impact in the community, um, you know, and being a successful business organization. So um, I, I, you wrap all that up and, and having Joe and Peter in place and then putting, you know, bringing in Rick Welts, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, and then it, and then it goes on from there has really um, created just a huge change. Um, and then, you know, and then you mentioned the pandemic and COVID, you know, less than a year into the opening of Chase Center. And it's, um, look, it's obviously been challenging for everybody. Um, you know, you said, I think you called it the new different. A lot of people like to say the new normal, hopefully coming out of this. Uh, as Jake knows, it's the title of my new book, but I'm not buying the new normal because it's just, it isn't, and it's not going to happen anytime soon. So you've proven, uh, and we'll talk a bit about it specifically that if you're just doing business the way you did forget about it i mean it's got to be something different and so those organizations um that are thinking about the future but dealing with these challenges now are getting through it those that aren't will be disappearing yeah no i think that's right um i think you know one of the things um you know that that we're really focused on is um you know how do we make it as safe and healthy to play um, with fans next year? Um, you know, we knew pretty early on, you know, we were 15 and 50 or, or still are 15 and 50, um, you know, when, when Rudy Gobert tested positive and the NBA um, suspended the season. So we didn't know at that time if we were going to start playing again, but we, we, we knew pretty quickly that it was unlikely. And so we've been laser focused on, on next year for a long time. And, and the NBA has obviously done an incredible job, you know, with the Orlando bubble and keeping everybody safe and, 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 you know, being able to play out the season, obviously we're halfway through the first round of the playoffs now. Um, but we've been laser focused on really thinking outside the box for next season, not just waiting for somebody to say, okay, this is what you can do, but, but what can we do proactively? And, and, and that may, you know, may, may include significant financial investments, certainly is including a lot of time spent, but we've got an internal task force. Um, three of our owners are on that task force that, you know, we meet first thing in the morning every Monday. So we met this morning. Um, it's, it's a, um, so that, that's a huge process for us. Um, and then, you know, we're doing all the things that, that hopefully every team is doing, you know, certainly thinking short term. So what are we doing to engage fans and ticket holders? What are we doing in the community? Because in addition to COVID, you know, we obviously have this racial justice movement, um, which is really important, um, you know, to the world, certainly to the NBA and, and, and to who we are as an organization and being in the Bay Area. Um, so we, we, we think about that a lot of how we, how we can have a positive impact and what we're doing internally with our staff in addition to externally 
um, you know, to, to, to use the megaphone that we have and the resources that we have to, to help there. Um, you know, so, so community is a big part of this, you know, thinking what we're doing for partners digitally, um, you know, digital is always, is a growing area has been important, I think is even magnified right now and, and goes into some of the forward uh, looking opportunities. And then obviously we're more focused as we always are on long-term. So, you know, we're thinking about next year all the way across the board, just as we normally would. We just have a little longer off season than we normally would. Um, you know, putting ourselves in position um, to excel when we get back to the new different or whatever, whatever we're calling it. I'll, I'll take your, your uh, nomenclature, Andy. Um, and thinking about what that is, you know, we're thinking about what we're, what we're doing with our staff because, you know, there's a lot of um, challenges there. Obviously, you know, kids not in school and all the things that we're all dealing with. Controlling costs, too, which are some short-term, you know, things that are important. But, but the other one, you know, and I think this is what you're probably alluding to the most, Andy, is, is thinking about how to reimagine revenue opportunities. Right. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're all focused on, on having fans in the stands next year. But regardless of, of, of what we're able to do from a health and safety perspective, we need to be thinking outside the box, whether we have fans or not. Um, and again, the focus is to have them. But, but regardless of that, what can we do to, to create more opportunities? And this is something that hopefully we and everybody are thinking about in general. But the, you, you've heard some people say, don't waste a good pandemic or something like that. And, and I think our, to, to clarify that a little bit, I think our perspective is, you know, there, there's a lot of things that in, in normal times, no, and maybe related to, to how you're working with players, you know, what some of the league restrictions are, you know, different things with, you know, we talked about RSNs or national TV broadcasters. There's a lot of things where the status quo is what it is and, and everything's been negotiated. And I think during a time like this, all bets are kind of off. So I think it creates an environment where, you know, this, this innovative thinking, people are willing to look at things differently than they might have otherwise done. So, you know, we, we see the door cracked and we want to slam that door open. And so we're working quite a bit internally and actually more recently with the NBA, because a lot of the stuff that we're thinking about, you know, is uh, pertains to league rules. And so we're working with, we're working with, um, you know, it goes up to Adam, but Amy Brooks, who runs, you know, Team Bo, Team Marketing, Business Operations, Matt Wolf and their team um, on a lot of different ideas that we think make, make a lot of sense uh, as we move into this new different. Brandon, you mentioned, you mentioned from a, a business standpoint, evolving, adapting, doing things different. And at the same time, you can't just let your staff sit still and kind of just go through time, right? You still have to develop them. You still have to develop the new leaders. You still have to, as leaders, lead. And as you think about the development piece and doing things differently, you know, you and I were chatting a couple of weeks ago and, and talking about, you know, having your ticket sales uh, staff do Zoom calls as opposed to just picking up the phone, right? Doing something a little bit different that maybe might take an extra 15, 30, 45 seconds to make sure you're on the Zoom and all that. But at the end of the day, it's worth it, right? From a relationship perspective and thinking about it through a different lens. Can you talk about some of those types of things as well as, as you've, you know, tried to do things differently internally um, to help develop people and, and fans? Yeah, so, so the example you gave is, is, is interesting. So, um, you know, everyone is using um, video conferencing. And we, we use um, Ring Central, who's a, who's a big partner of ours. But, you know, everyone's using all, all the different platforms. And, and I think before the pandemic hit, people were not using these platforms very much. So I think there's lots of applications where as we move into the new different, 
you know, people were traveling for, for one meeting or something, I think you're going to see that change in, in industries at least. And I think some of those changes will, will last over time. Some of them, you know, may, may, may slowly go back to where it used to be, but I think the, the example we're talking about won't. Um, so I think, you know, when you're, when you're talking to, um, to fans and, and, and ticket buyers, ticket purchasers, you know, talk in person is, is the best way to do business. Um, and, and usually I, I would say the phone's probably second best, but, but video conference, I think is, is much better. So like you said, we're working with our sales team, uh, sales teams on that. Um, and I think you know, we've had some success there, but I think, you know, the staff development piece is critical because, you know, and, and this starts with Rick early on, we talked about innovation and thinking outside the box. And that's not just, you know, our, our management team. We want that from everybody. Um, you know, it's, everybody's got a different perspective. People, you know, you've got frontline employees that are talking to fans that are going to have different ideas. So we, we challenge people, not only do you have a, we want everyone to feel like they have a voice, but this isn't really like we're asking you, we're telling you, this is like part of your job, um, is to think through and bring ideas to the forefront. So, you know, when, when you think about productivity, our teams are as busy or busier than they've ever been. You know, people talk about the work-life balance, you know, getting um, blended together because we're all at home all the time, um, which, which is true. But I just think, you know, there's, there's certain departments that are inherently busier based on what they do, our studio group, digital marketing, corporate partnerships. You know, right now our ticket services team is really busy going through our upgrade process and things like that. So, so there's certain groups that are inherently, our human resources department, legal, are, are slammed, um, you know, government affairs, things like that. But, and some groups aren't inherently as busy, and those are the ones that are focusing on innovation. And, and we, we talk about process improvement um, and, and things that we, you know, you want to get to that you normally can't because you're too busy with the day-to-day. -day. So we're, we're really trying to be efficient um, in, in, in getting to things that we wouldn't normally be able to, and then challenging our team members, um, you know, to... Uh, uh, to, to, to think outside the box and, and think of this like adversity brings opportunity. So, you know, there's more opportunity to stand out and make a difference in a time like this than, than in a status quo time. You know, one real simple example of that, Brandon, is, you know, I worked with Sean Bennett earlier in his career and he called me a few months ago and said, hey, you know, we're doing sessions with our staff in terms of what he's doing in development of game and promotion and said, let's have a session. And we did it. And, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of organizations be proactive that way. You know, that was his group. It sounds like you're doing that throughout the organization. And the one area in speaking to people in sports, especially in Northern California, the home of innovation, of brilliance, um, what are you doing with all of the corporate clients you have, some that you're closer to than others, in terms of talking about what challenges they face. These are multi-billion dollar global businesses who have the same challenges that the Warriors have or the local restaurant. What are you getting from that and what kind of structure are you putting in place? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, Andy. And, and we're, you know, we're, um, you know, we're fortunate to have some, you know, pretty, pretty well-known blue chip kind of fortune 500 companies as partners and, and, and built great relationships. And so we're talking to them, you know, about our specific deal and, and, and how we look at, um, you know, kind of like lost assets from the end of this year and make goods for next year. But in part of that conversation, you're understanding, you know, these companies have different priorities today than they did a year ago when we talked about, you know, how we're going to, how we're going to maximize this partnership from their perspective. Um, and so just in the course of having those conversations, we're learning a lot 
um, about all these different industries. I mean, like, you know, you're hearing one thing from like United Airlines, um, from MGM, from Cash Creek, who, you know, these are examples of industries that are similar to us are, are, are really, really challenged right now. But, but we learned a lot and how they're, how they're weathering the storm um, in the short run with, with how they're thinking about midterm and longer term. And then, and then you look at, you know, like a chase, you look at Kaiser and what, what they're doing, you know, clearly in the middle of this and they're, you know, obviously very busy, but what they're doing with testing, um, you know, and resources and all those things. And then, and then, you know, Accenture is, is a company that has, we, we always joke that um, every time I talk to Olin Keneally's our main contact and Julie Sweets, their CEO, who I just talked to a, a couple of weeks ago, um, who, who are amazing partners. Us, They've got, I think 500,000 employees. So we've grown a lot to get to 500. They have 500,000, but they're, you know, they, all the, all these big tech companies are clients of Accenture. So they see that they actually have a lens to see what a lot of different, um, you know, big companies are doing and how they're helping them, um, you know, reimagining fan experience uh, or just client experience. If you want to be more broad with how you say it. Um, so Accenture is one that we're talking to Rakuten, e-commerce, uh, Google, you know, Ring Central is, is our is platform that we use a lot, HPE. So just in the course of, again, talking about our specific partnership, we get a lens into, into what they're doing, what they're doing um, staffing wise and, and, and thinking about how we can leverage different, different industries as we think about what that, what that new different is going to be. Right. And you mentioned it, you have an unbelievable engine at the NBA with Amy and many others um, to be able to share best practices and know some of the things that they might be doing with their global partners. Um, it, to me, uh, a lot of the other leagues, they were sort of caught flat-footed. And the NBA had that level of trust between labor and management and were able to move forward in a very agile, nimble position. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you bring up a good point in that, I, and, and I I'll use this in a couple ways. I mean, I think um, because we, and, and, and in your example, the NBA had built these teams and these processes up well before the pandemic. So you look at something like Teambo, which, you know, we, we, we um, Teambo started, I don't even know when, it's probably been 20 years-ish. Bernie Mullen, yeah, it's more than 20 years ago. Yeah, and, and it started small and, and has grown so much over time as you moved into uh, Scott O'Neill, and then uh, Chris Granger, and now, you know, Amy Brooks at the helm. But but they've built this culture within the NBA, and it's it's really taken hold, you know, many, many years ago. I've been going to NBA meetings since 2006, and I've seen it grow quite a bit since then, but even back then, it was pretty good, where the NBA is really facilitating the sharing of best practices. And then the other thing that it's done is, like, I know my counterpart with every team in the league. And, and by the way, growing up on the ticketing side of the business, I know the ticketing leaders with every team. I've gotten to know presidents with every team as well, but that's just me personally. Every area of our business, um, the leaders, and, and even some of the, the, the members of the team know their counterparts with every team. So, so there's, there's stuff that the NBA is facilitating. And by the way, during this period where there's really no playbook, um, it becomes that much more important. It's, it's important anyway, because you know, and when we talk about this, it's one thing that's unique about sports, or in this case, the NBA, is look, there's 29 other teams that do the same thing that we do, but we're not competing. On the court, yes, but off the court, we're not competing with the Minnesota Timberwolves to sell tickets, as an example. So we really are sharing best practices in general. But again, I think it's, it's, it's magnified um, during this time. And so we spent, we spent a lot of time with, with calls and, and video conferences formalized by the NBA and talking to the league itself. But I think there's a lot of 
just reaching out. You know, I was, I was just texting with my counterpart with the Rockets as an example. Um, she had a quick question, you know, that could be the Spurs. It could be, you know, any number of teams out there that you, that you're interfacing with either one-on-one -on -one or with, with, um, you know, in, in, in small groups. And then the NBA has put together different task forces, uh, task forces related to, you know, related to what we're watching in Orlando. There's one now focused on, on 2021. Um, and so there's, 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 there's different organized workflows. And then there's the, you know, kind of the day-to-day -day, uh, networking that sometimes is even more valuable where, where you're able to bounce ideas and understand, you know, how are you treating partners and how are you treating sweet holders and how are you thinking about next year? And, and, you know, look, we can, we all, we can all do that internally, which we do as normal businesses do outside of sports, but to have the advantage to get to, to consult with the league and the other 29 teams and quite frankly, um, other sports as well. Uh, not just within our market, but I mean, I've, I've been on, on calls and meetings with people from, you know, MLS, uh, uh, Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, and even, um, you know, even people in Europe, you know, Olympics, um, European soccer, you know, EPL, all that stuff. So it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's a huge help as we, you know, look, when you think about Europe, they're, they're ahead of us in certain ways, just dealing with the pandemic. So thinking through where they are in their cycle and, and, and what missteps they've taken and things they might've done differently, what successes they've had is critical as we chart our path forward. Brandon, as you, as you think about all the different layers and complexities to not only our business, but uh, the, the problem in which we're all dealing with and sorting through, um, when we had Rick on two, two years ago, you never would have thought that his conversation would come up and be very relevant today, but he really talked a lot about culture right? And creating this culture that existed no matter whether you were, you know, uh, forgive me on the record, but I think it was 73 and nine, right? And then, you know, you, you're in the opposite uh, kind of end of the spectrum, you know, this year. And as you think about moving forward through this, and now you're, now you're not only in the, not, not in the office, you're working from home, right? So creating that culture is even more important inherently. And as you think about the, the ways in which you've gone about it, what are some of those things that maybe you've picked up from Rick and then also uh, as a leader yourself trying to implement from a culture standpoint within the organization uh, as you do, you know, continue through this, this journey of 2020 and, and beyond? Yeah. So I'm going to focus the, my response more on, on, on this pandemic piece and, and the, the, the remote work, but I will start by saying, I think, you know, this, this goes back to Andy's point about Teambo and the NBA being ahead and, and having these things in place before, you know, any catastrophe or pandemic hit. I think it's similar with culture, right? When, you, when you've got culture in place and, and you would, Bob Myers could talk about this on the basketball side as well, right? You're going through a season where you're 15 and 50 and, and, and yet we, we found it to be a really productive year. Um, you know, you didn't have any, any, any flare-ups or any issues, even though you, you have a lot of guys that are used to winning at a high level that went through a clearly frustrating season with, you know, we knew Clay was going to be out and Steph getting hurt and, you know, a young team and a lot of new pieces and, and losing way more than we're used to, but yet still finding ways to make it, again, a productive and, and positive season and, and, and what we think will be a building block to getting back to being a positive team next year. You look at the business side, it, it's the same thing. I mean, our, our, our business um, doubled in size over the last year. So one of the things, one of our challenges and priorities was to create a situation, you know, we, we were a tenant at Oracle Arena and at Chase Center, we own and operate the building. So, so that was a lot of where our organization grew. And what we wanted to make sure is that our Chase Center operations team really felt like one with our Golden State Warriors team. And, and to be honest with you, uh, Jake, it, it hasn't been, not that we thought it was gonna be easy, but it's been challenging. Uh, it, it, it has not gone as smoothly as we would have hoped, 
Um, so that, that, that's ongoing, but, but it's a stated kind of goal and, and something that we know is important to us. So I think the overall culture we had within the Warriors before we, we grew into that has been strong. And you have, you know, Rick is a, is a consensus builder and, and puts, you know, the right people in place and then gives us all a voice and a platform to do that. You know, diversity and inclusion is, is really a, and, and now, you know, we say diversity, equity and inclusion is a, is kind of a, a, a hot button and something people talk about a lot right now. But this was something that, that Rick brought in when he started with the team in 2011. Um, you know, he's obviously, shouldn't say obviously, but, you know, he's the, the first and the highest ranking um, sports official to come out as being gay. And so, you know, his sort of experience going through life before, you know, before he came out and then, and then after, and then, and then carrying that through to, to being diverse um, and inclusive in, in all areas, not just with um, sexual orientation, but, you know, gender and, and racial and all these things. That's been a part of our organization. And then, you know, as, as you move into the, to the pandemic, you know, I think Rick would tell you, and, and I was kind of with him, we're kind of old school, you know, we, we, we live and work in a place where there's a lot of tech companies that have, have granted flexibility for their employees to work from home and things like that for, for a long time. And, and some of them have been very outspoken with providing that, you know, we're not expecting you back until mid 2021, or I think Twitter said ever, um, you know, that, and these, these companies are based where we are. We've really, you know, being an events business and, and having a, you know, these are companies that are global. We have 500 people that all work in the same building. We, we really thought culturally it was important that we're all together. We've been really pleasantly surprised with how well we've been able to, to continue operating remotely. So that's been a positive. Now, as you look at the adversity that we're going through, we actually think this has been a chance to really strengthen our culture. So the pandemic piece and the working from home, um, you know, I think you're seeing communication get better. So Rick, and, and this is something, you know, not all this was his idea, but, but he's done an amazing job. So like he sends out a daily update every single day. And this is not like, hey, you guys do this and I'll send it out or, you know, something like that. This is, we have some stuff that, that a couple of our teams, PR, marketing, HR put together. Um, but then Rick writes a personal note and he's taken it to like a crazy level. Like for a while it was, he was talking to like someone very high level every day, whether that was like Bob Iger or, um, you know, the head of the San Francisco International Airport or, um, you know, the CEO of Accenture or, you know, I mean, every day and you, you read this every day and you're like, God, first of all, he's an amazing Rolodex. And second of all, where does he find the time? And third of all, these are, this is like perfectly relevant. And so he's writing like a page every day but but it just is keeping everyone connected you know that we're doing we're doing town halls with the full organization every other week for an hour to an hour and a half all through the pandemic i think it started out we figured it was going to be you know a matter of weeks and now we're five and a half months in and we're still doing it and then so that so that was how, as it started with the pandemic and then is this you know as as, as the brianna taylor and the mod arbery and then the george floyd incidents and murders happened um, you know, that really hit home with, with a lot of people, but, but I'll say, I'll speak for us. Um, you know, we've done a lot culturally. Um, I mean, you know, we have a cross-functional task force um, that's, that's focused on what our response is going to be both internally and externally. We did, we, we just completed a seven-week uh, racial justice training that was optional, but we had, I think, about 200 employees volunteer for, uh, you know, I did it myself. So that was a two-hour training once a week for seven weeks. Um, you know, we, we've, we've started several, probably three months ago, what we call a continued um, discussion on, on, on racial uh, equity. And so we've got, we have different speakers and that happens once every week or two. Um, so doing these things, I think, you know, as we, as we think about diversity and inclusion, we're, we're really trying to walk the walk and, and show our employees 
and educate our employees on the issues. Um, and, and, and this, this training that we did, the stated goal from the, the, the company that we hired, it was, it was a husband wife um, that did it, was to normalize uh, racial discussions within organizations. And I think they really helped us succeed. And then, you know, you, you think about it um, in terms of, you know, character is revealed when no one's watching. And again, um, I'm, I'm one of the many fans of Rick Weltz, seeing him in so many different roles during my career. Um, and his reaction to the latest information about the incident with Masai Jury, a lot of organizations would have just either stayed out of that and left it on the legal basis or offered some sort of wimpy organizational statement in terms of what they thought where Rick grabbed it and dealt with it in terms of, I didn't know that you were going through this process and that's real life. And it sounds a bit hokey, but if you're not developing that in your heart and soul in an organization, you don't have an organization. I think that's well said, Andy. Um, you know, he got, he, I mean, he, I mean, I know Messiah a little bit, Rick knows him well. And, and we saw that video, you know, we all kind of heard of this incident, but you didn't really know, you know, what, what it was or how bad it was. And we all saw this video that came out, I think it was uh, uh, mid to late last week. And we watched that and you're just like, wow, you know, it's, uh, and, and so, you know, it created that, um, that kind of visceral reaction in all of us. And, and Rick felt compelled to, you know, to send out the tweets that, that you're referring to. But I think, I think part of this whole process, Andy and, and Jake, quite frankly, has been wanting everybody to have a voice. So as, as these things happen, you know, there's, there's, it could be a, our head of HR, it could be someone in marketing, it could be somebody in our facilities team, whatever, that sees things that aren't right or has ideas on what we should be doing. Everybody's got a voice uh, to weigh in and, 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 and think about what, you know, what we can do to make this, you know, to make the world a better place, quite, quite frankly, for lack of a better way to say it. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think as, as different situations arise, you know, everyone's going to handle them one, the way in which they think it should be handled. Right. And um, there's plenty of, you know, continued learnings. I think that we can all, all take from, from many of these situations. As we wrap up this episode, Brandon, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the very start of this conversation and, and how you got started and saying, sure, yeah, I can sell, um, you know, and, and now you oversee all of the revenue, right, from a, from a organizational perspective and having to have that pulse on, you know, all the different moving parts, right, whether it's partnerships or uh, concessions. I mean, there's, there's plenty of relationships that you've got to, um, you know, understand and, and then also, like you said, kind of put people in the right places to succeed and, and let them go and do their job. As you think about, you know, others that are trying to reach uh, where you're at and, and the leadership things that you've learned along the way, what's the one, you know, insider piece of advice that you would give to those who uh, maybe are a few step, you know, steps behind where you were uh, and, and now? One piece of advice. That's tough. I, I think, I think if I have to pick one, I would say, um, you know, be a team player and make yourself as valuable to the organization as you can, because it's not, again, it's not about Brandon Schneider. It's about the Golden State Warriors. And so if everything I do uh, is successful and, and, and everything I'm involved with goes really well and it is good for the organization, it only makes sense for the organization to then, you know, in turn want to, to give in this case me or, could be you, Jake, um, you know, more responsibility. So 
as long as you come at it, you know, and it sounds utopian to say like, look, if you're a team player and you do what's right for the organization, it works out in the end. But, but I really believe that. And, and I've seen that, um, I've seen that happen. The, the other thing I'll, I'm going to cheat a little bit, that would be my one, but, but the other thing I would say, and we've talked about Rick, um, a, a decent amount here. Um, I think one of the things I've learned and, and he's actually said to me a couple of times and, and he wasn't talking about himself, but I would, I would say about him is who you work for is all, is also really important. So, um, you know, I think in, in the organization, but also you're like your direct boss, like, you know, the people that you're working for and working with, I think are a critical, um, you know, critical part of, of development. And I would just say, as, as we wrap up, as, as Jake said, it's, uh, you know, it's red light time. Um, but the people that are in the industry, you had the benefit of going through a 73 and nine season. And I'm just guessing you would have been the same person like a young Andy Dulles who went through a nine and 73 season with the Sixers. And I asked Welts right after you guys broke that record. I said, so Rick, what do you think's harder? And he laughed out loud. And I said, no, really? You know, that record of, of inability by the Sixers is never going to be broken. And the way the teams are built today and probably the Warriors, they could be better than 73 and nine. But what you touched upon in this conversation is how people go to work every day, whether it's on the court, whether it's in the training room, whether it's at the furthest ticket uh, location in Chase Center or in your operation. Quality shows itself because the driveway to driveway experience unleashes whatever uh, inequalities you've got. So we really appreciate your time today and make sure that uh, Raymond and Sean Bennett get back to work and stop goofing off. Yeah, that's that's easier said than done. Um, I think I think what you just said, Andy, is very well said. So I uh, I couldn't agree more, and I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a lot of fun.